0: Here We are here to um, hear Father Charles's wisdom and knowledge on, you know, what is Eucharistic Adoration? What do you do in Eucharistic Adoration? And how can moms incorporate it into, you know, family life?
1: Okay. Um, One of the things uh, I don't know, I know a lot of people are on computers, uh, anymore and so I, I may have to put on those special blue glasses that helps with the uh, screen. Uh, it also enhances your eyes, so so if you're wearing yours, I, we can't see you, but you can see mine, right? Yeah. And just so you know, I'm crazy.
0: Uh, <laughs> you're, you're in but, good company father you're in good company because we're pretty crazy too
1: <laughs> excellent i did notice that there was a diane gagne from uh british columbia and i knew a diane gagne lavoie and her husband was the deacon in my last parish in berry so that may be her uh mm-hmm. and i know they do live in bc so if hi to diane oh there she is again she said <laughs> yeah. yeah so you never know that could be her um that's incredible. Um, so Actually,
0: I, you
1: know, I said I wasn't going to
0: interrupt you, and here I am already interrupting you. Forgive me, uh, Father. You've got a mothers' group um, at Saint Leo's Parish, and um, the mothers' group leaders there, Shannon Rogers and uh, and and Elisa Afade. They're, they're- yes they've done just a a remarkable job can can you just tell the moms that are here listening just a little bit about the mother's group and what your experience as a priest has been having a mother's group just I I don't mean to sidetrack you but I kind of forgot I should probably bring that up (laughs)
1: that's that's okay um so yes uh Annalisa uh, approached me a few years ago and asked about the idea of she had looked into it already about having a Catholic moms group in the parish so uh, I was all for it and uh, she was enthusiastic about it. And so it began under her great uh, leadership skills but also you know, we had some challenges with uh, space in the parish and all those kind of things. She did a great job every week of trying to make a room that look kind of bland, look very inviting. And uh, we had to move them around to different places. And now they've been moved out to the World Wide Web. <laughs> <like Yeah. all laughs> and uh, but it, that's been a uh, a great thing, and I know that uh, while people come and go in all the groups and everything like that, that many people have uh, benefited from uh, their individual experience of the Catholic Mothers Group. So kudos to uh, to Annalisa and uh, and to the great work that she's begun and will continue to grow. And that's what brings us to even today. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't no, for. No, uh,
0: that, that's true and. If you know, for some of the ladies that are that are here, and, and maybe they're wanting to approach um, their parish priest about a starting a, a mother's group, what would be some things that a priest might want to know, or what might be some things that would be important if you're approaching your priest about mom's Catholic moms group?
1: Well, I I think for most priests, I think if they hear anything about it, they won't uh, question the Catholicity, you know, is this approved by the church, that kind of thing. I think it would be more, um, what's it going to look like on the ground? How does it impact the parish? What does the parish uh, do to get people involved? Uh, I know in our experience, Annalisa was uh, very good at um, speaking publicly, using the microphone in the parish Uh, you know, after a Sunday mass to uh, make an announcement and to do a pitch for the Catholic Moms Group. So it was great if it's not just another thing that the priest is expected to by himself promote, but also is going to be promoted by the Catholic Mothers uh, themselves. And that's what uh, they did. And they did a very good job of it. So yeah, yeah. so
0: no. So thank you. Thank you for that. Because um, you know, very often I've gotten, what should I say to my priest? And I'm like, well, you got to ask him what he needs to know, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so thank you for that. Uh, and I'm sorry for sidetracking, but, um, you know, Annalisa and, and Shannon have just like hit it out of the park. They've done an outstanding job where we're really blessed to have them. And we're blessed to have you here today. And, and Annalisa said to me, Hey, you know, father Charles, um, gave this beautiful presentation and, uh, Uh, you know I said do you think he'd give it again and she goes I I think so so just I wanted to just restate that Father Charles is the uh, pastor at St. Leo's parish he was raised in a family of seven children in Whitby he is a priest of the Archdiocese of Toronto for 28 years let's all give him a round of applause and currently he's at his fifth parish assignment since his ordination in the parish of St. Leo the great in Brooklyn, so a big, big, warm uh, welcome to you, Father. And I promise I'll shut up now.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yes, Eucharistic adoration.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, what I thought I would do—I never preach with notes, so I don't have notes in front of me. I have a Bible open, um, uh, should I need that. Uh, but uh, and and a few quotes that I I kind of keep handy, but. I tend to not worry about it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and I'm grateful to the Holy Spirit for the ability to speak and not worry about uh, just reading some something. Uh, I remember uh, uh, there was an elderly gr- Irish grandmother who heard the bishop reading his homily and she said, glory be to God, if he can't remember it, how does he expect us to? Right. <laughs> So I would give just give you copies of what I was going to say if I was going to do that. But um, I think, you know, in talking about Eucharistic adoration, we have to begin, not so much, you know, I didn't want to really cover, here's how the church began this, here's the history of it or anything like that. We all know what the Eucharist is. I think we all know what the word adoration means to adore something, you know, uh, a woman will say of her husband or husband of... His wife, you know, I adore uh, her. Or, you know, other people say he he adores her, and we means we 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 understand that that means we hold them in high regard, high esteem, that they have a great love for that person. Well, our adore, adoration of the Lord isn't really so much about ourselves, though we are necessary for it, but it's being present to Jesus, who is already present, or is made present for us uh, when we go to a church, which is difficult these days, and when the priest removes the blessed sacrament from the tabernacle and exposes Jesus. Jesus is visible to our eyes, and that is such a gift in the church, but I think we also have to think about the fact that when we say Eucharist, We cannot assume anymore that Catholics even know what that means when the Pew Research uh, poll that was taken in 2019 in the United States showed that over 70% of Roman Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist they don't understand it and so that's a, a problem of catechism of catechesis rather that. The truth is out there. The truth is there. In this information age, when we have so much information, the information that is most necessary for a Catholic way of life is so often missing. People just don't understand it. But that also means that many of the Catholics who may faithfully come to church when the church is open and we pray that it will be again soon here in the Archdiocese of Toronto. Many people don't understand, so it may be a symbol. It may be, it's bread, it's holy bread, but it's not. And and I was thinking of uh, the Flannery O'Connor. She was a great writer in the last century, a Catholic writer. Uh, she had actually, she some, suffered from lupus and uh, she lived far longer than uh, she was supposed to have lived. And in her writing, uh, one of her stories is she shared uh, an example of her own great deep love for the Eucharist. She would go to mass every day, uh, even though she was so sick, and then she would come home, she would write. And then after that, she would kind of convalesce for the rest of the day, trying to get over how much that taxed her body. But one time,
0: sorry they're just I guess one thought I have here you know for for mothers is that okay that you know as a mom do you personally have a conviction that Jesus Christ is truly pre- present in the Eucharist like that 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 is something that 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 needs to be deeply rooted in the mom and the and the first thing that we want to you know teach our children is this 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 sacred this supernatural truth right um we don't want to wait for a, a catechist or like someone else right like this is the, the 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 sacred role of the mother and the father um you know i used to always call my mom the 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 whisper you know she'd be she's and so again i just want to encourage moms here you know are you rooted are you rooted in that truth is your heart full of love for the eucharist and and then are you communicating that love and that truth to your little ones because it's so like it's like if you don't teach your children anything but you teach them that right anyway i'm
1: sorry father but it just that's okay well and then That kind of leads me to think that even in this pandemic, it occurs to me that while our churches have been closed now twice, and you can say that when we, for the first time in Christianity, all the churches last year of the world were closed. That has never happened in history before. That's pretty serious. Mm -hmm. Pretty serious. But I think we're also being given a message from Christ who says, do you love me? Do you believe this is truly me? We're we're being forced to fast from the body and blood of Christ. It is the privilege of priests to still be able to celebrate mass, not only for themselves, but also for their people, for the body of Christ, the church. But that's, I think, what part of what is happening. God has given us over to our neglect, maybe, of the Eucharist and of his real presence of the gift that we have, especially when we live in free countries when we can go to mass, no one is closing our churches and telling us you can't go to mass except for the pandemic itself. And, and I think in our own parish and many parishes all over the archdiocese, we saw that when the churches were closed, and we didn't think it would be that long for three months, we thought when we opened the church again, People will be so hungry for the Mass, for the Eucharist, that they will be lined up outside. They weren't. And we never really saw even our 30% capacity get filled where we would have to turn anyone away, which is not a good sign for our world. Because it's not about a church building at 130 Watford Street in Brooklyn, Ontario. It's about the home of God in our midst, in our community, that we're free to go. And then when we're free to go, when we haven't been able to go, people don't go. And our parish is very young parish, lots of young families, older people as well, but lots of young families. And many of our young families never came back. And now we're closed down again presently. And if we are opened again, I'm concerned that many people, even many more people, will stay away. And part of it may be this idea that, you know, uh, priests have had to tell their people, while we, um, I keep leaning to the left here, and uh, spiritually and theologically, I lean to the right, but there's this big glare that's coming from the window above that I can't cover up.
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: Uh, and, and I, I realized by leaning in this way, you're gonna see a bigger glare from the top <laughs> of my head. So you just can't win. But but my hope is that people will ha- have in this starvation, this fasting from being able to receive the Eucharist that they'll have a newfound respect for the Eucharist. Uh, and- but I was just... I was just talking about uh, Flannery O'Connor and I wanna read the quote she was at. uh, She said, after a long dinner party that stretched deep into the night and she had many uh, famous friends and influential people in New York City. She uh, writes about this uh, evening and party and dinner party and people sitting around the table. And here's what she says. Well, toward morning, the conversation turned on the Eucharist, which I, being the Catholic, was obviously supposed to defend. She said, my friend Mary McCarthy said when she was a child and received the host, she thought of it as the Holy Ghost, he being the most portable person of the Trinity. Now she thought of it as a symbol and implied that it was a pretty good one. I then said, in a very shaky voice, well, if it's a symbol, to hell with it. That was all the defense I was capable of, but I realize now that this is all I will ever be able to say about it, outside of a story, except that it is the center of existence for me. All the rest of life is expendable what a powerful thing she said flannery o'connor to say that if it's just a symbol and this was another catholic her friend saying well it's a beautiful symbol i think it's a great symbol well well then to hell with it because jesus the night before he died didn't give the church and the world a symbol and then tell them to do this repeat this keep this going it's not a symbol it's Jesus himself. And that's why, you know, we think of if a person is dying, their last words are going to be the most important words. And Jesus, even though he knows he's going to die the next day, his apostles don't. And so he gives them the institution of the Eucharist. We know that when we pray the luminous uh, mysteries of the rosary today, being Thursday, that the last of the Mysteries John Paul II gave to the world, of course, is what Jesus gave to the world, the institution of the Eucharist. And that was the night before he died. So, when we're going to talk about Eucharist, we have to recognize that many people, many Catholics, many of our young Catholics, aren't being raised with the Eucharist as the center of their life. The church teaches that the Eucharist is the summit. And the source of our life, summit being nothing higher, the source of our life, that our life, like a wagon wheel, has the Eucharist at the center. And our lives go to, like the spokes of that wheel, to that center, which is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and then flows out from that center into our life, into the rest of our life so that we can say our life flows to and from mass and the mass of course is jesus in the eucharist in the word of god that leads to the summit and source of our faith and then we're commissioned to go and live this out in your life and that's for catholic mothers that's for catholic moms that are Struggling like everybody else to, to live a life, but also to nurture their family in the things of faith. And some of the greatest things I would say to this day, I have learned, I learned from my mother. My mother had a million great sayings. I'm sure some of them she got from elsewhere, but a lot of them uh, she said, you know, to each and every one of us. If I was fighting with my brother, Mark, my mother, my brother, Mark, and I were Uh, Next to each other in age about a year and a half apart and I if I went and told my mother, you know Mark said this and mark did this and whatever Uh, If you hear dogs barking, I have dogs downstairs So they somebody probably dared to walk past the house But my mother would say when you die and go to heaven God isn't gonna ask you what mark did You know and things like that I just kind of grew up with or or if you worried about what people thought about you my mother would say don't worry much about what people think about you, because they don't think about you that much. (laughs) Which is, which is funny, but also very true, right? Yes. yes. People think about us, or they don't like us or something. They think they don't like you for two seconds, and then they move on to somebody else or something else. And, you know, as Bishop uh, Barron so wisely said, and I think other people have said it before him, but he said, if you read the scriptures, and you look, you know, at all 73 books of the Bible, you recognize and realize that your life is not about you. I think our world keeps telling us that it's all about you. You're at the center of the universe. You know, if parents raise their children to think they're at the center of the the universe, it's not true. Your life is not about you. And this life is so fleeting that if we're looking at what is most important in life, what am I going to pass on to other people. What am I going to pass on if you're a mother or father to your children? It's going to be that it's about Christ. It's about him. It's about knowing him. And if you know Christ, you have everything. If you don't know Christ, that's a great, great poverty. Mother Teresa said that. One time she was speaking to a, a reporter and the reporter was talking to her about poverty and the poverty that she addresses and and saw every day. And and Mother Teresa, knowing the reporter was from North America, said, you people in North America suffer from a far greater poverty than the people in Calcutta. In fact, in, in the sense that we have so much, and yet we lack so much at the same time. You know, uh, about, you know, pe- many priests have visited and many people have visited many poor countries of the world, and so often they will reflect on the the fact that they saw poverty, and yet people that were so happy, a happiness you don't see in North America so often, or in in wealthier parts of the world. And so, and our, I, po- sorry, sure, go ahead.
0: I just there, there's a, a a little thought I wanted to share if I could. Um, I I got married a little bit, you know, later in in life, and I I guess had the great blessing of having quite a a kind of a full career traveling internationally. And then suddenly, when I had this baby, and you know, I could say probably my late 30s. um, It was it was just so overwhelming, because, you know, it was just like going from a professional environment to this baby that's You know, screaming and crying and I I felt completely out of control but I was given this grace and I I wish I could give the grace to everybody here um, is that it was kind of like Dorothy. If the only thing you accomplish with little Monica every day is going to mass, you would have done everything. And then I was like, Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, right from actually the hospital, we went to see Father James Casper, my, my spiritual director, and he gave her a blessing. And she went to daily mass for the first five or six years of her life. And then when my son was born, and it was sort of like that was the center of my day as a young mom right i'm like i don't care how i look i don't care you know and it's just like the whole day centered around getting to that mass and like everything in my heart wants to tell every single mother out there that if you do put the eucharist first you will be blessed with everything else right and and i find women now um, just because they're so busy and they're so torn that 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 family spiritualities become like chopped up. And it's kind of like, okay, well, I might be going to daily mass, but I can't take my kids, and my husband doesn't go. And there's this like what what seems to be missing in is this robust conviction that yes, it is Jesus, it's true. And, and and I mean this is the last thing I say on topic or whatever, but I used to always say, if you knew they were giving out thousand dollars at church every day, would you make it there every day? Right? Yeah, you would. And I would say, is Jesus worth more than a thousand? Of course he is, right? And it, it kind of shows the state of our hearts. That 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 yes, we would we would overcome all obstacles to get to the church if they were dispensing money, but you know it, it's almost like we've lost, like what the saints had that they would w- walk through fire and brimstone and hundreds of miles, right. you know, to to, you. to receive the Eucharist, and so. Um, I just want to say to moms, moms, if, if you want your kids to love the Eucharist, you have to love the Eucharist first, right? And take them on that, that journey. So I'm sorry, but it was like, I just, I wish that moms would believe that because it's almost as if we're pursuing everything else and putting that on hold till later. Well, later is
1: too late, right? Later is too late. Um, anyway, sorry, Father. I remember, uh... That's okay. I can just kind of work from what you say. You know, everything uh, just reminds me of something else. I remember we had a catechist in our parish, and he still does Catholic evangelical work, Patrick Sullivan. And uh, he moved a- away from our parish, and uh, he's living with his family, but he's still involved in uh, many things in bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to uh, to all kinds of people but Catholics. But I remember one time I had asked him to address our parents who had came come to the church for a First Communion parent meeting. So you're giving them information. And I would always put out the, try to get parents to, you know, if you're not going to church, well, one of the beautiful things about our Catholic faith is that it's renewable so you can start again. But he said a few words and I remember he said, children love what their parents love. If you love hockey and you love shopping and you love sports, and you love all these things, your children will love it. If you love God, and then your children will love God. If you don't, they won't. And that, I remember there was a dead silence in the church, because he was able, to, as a Catholic parent, to say to them, what kind of falls on deaf ears from me, you know, that's the priest is supposed to tell people that they should go to the church, But, you know, the church in its wisdom and based on the third commandment, keep holy the Sabbath day, recognized what is essential for our life. And so the church put a law behind it. You know, God's based on God's law. So it's a it's an obligation for Catholics to go to church. How many Catholics today recognize that it's even an obligation? Uh, I think statistically, 75 percent of Catholics don't see it as an obligation at all because they don't go you know as a priest over 28 years I go into the schools I talk to children and you want to talk about poverty you know you can say okay this is grade three class you know and the kids are bubbly and they're looking at you and everything and uh, and I say so how many of you made your first communion last year and you only see a handful of hands and then children in their innocence just tell you things and I remember one little girl putting up her hand and saying, my mom and dad don't go to church because they're really busy on Sunday and we have to shop on Sunday. And that, and then I said to the little girl, well, your parents are idiots. No, I didn't actually say that. (laughs) Um, but, but But inwardly you feel like what a sad thing. This, this child has already been taught by her parents that, you can replace God and church with other things, but of course that becomes the most important thing, and, and children are going to, as Patrick Sullivan said, learn from what their parents have taught them. What is what their parents have taught them is important, and so if, if church and God in the church is optional, then children have really lost so much, And and that's why I think When we're going to talk about even eucharist adoration it's a great gift that the church teaches us is meant to of course not replace the blessed sacrament but uh, you know or sorry not to replace our need to receive jesus but it's meant to give us a greater hunger and a thirst to receive jesus we grow in our appreciation of the eucharist when we grow in our appreciation of even simply looking At Jesus in the Eucharist and again, that's that's kind of missing right now during the pandemic, you know many people many priests have said. And have voiced this and Catholics have voiced this that we recognize that. Watching mass on TV is not the same as going to mass and that's a good thing. There is a danger if Catholics think. Well, you know, it's the same thing, you know, I don't really need to go to mass now because. Uh, You know, we got to be careful of that COVID-19, you know. In my heart of hearts, Jesus Christ would not tell us as Catholics, stay home. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. Don't come to church and receive me in body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, You don't need me as much as you need to stay home and be safe. Baloney, hogwash, it's not true. So Jesus wouldn't have. It's not the will of Jesus that we would stay away, or that somehow we would do that. I was even thinking: Can you imagine if I said to our first communion parents, who uh, parents of children who are going to prepare for and receive first communion this year, this year we're going to have live streamed first communion? All the parents would go, "Hey, wait a minute! That's not the same thing. How are they going to receive the Eucharist?" And I would say. Exactly. That's not the same thing. You can't stay home. You can't go to shop at Costco or the grocery store on Sunday and replace Jesus as if you don't need him. And what Jesus has given us in giving us himself is a secret in the sense that we'll never understand the Eucharist. The Pope will never fully understand the Eucharist. I'll never understand the Eucharist. But what we know is if Jesus gave it to us the night before he died, if all the miracles of the loaves and fish and multiplications and the sixth chapter of John's gospel tells us that we need the Eucharist, that Jesus wants to feed us because he knows what we need already, even if we don't understand that fully, we should be obedient to what Jesus wants to give to us. You know, it's interesting in the sixth chapter of John's gospel, that's well known as the bread of life discourse. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Uh, Jesus says, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood will live in me and I will in them. And I will raise them up on the last day. It's linked to eternal life. Do you know what chapter and verse it is in the sixth chapter of John's gospel, when the people can't stomach what he is saying to them. How can we stomach such talk? How can he give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink? And then it says, and they walked with him no longer. It's John 6, 6, 6. 6, 6, six, six. oh my goodness. That tells you something, is. right? <laughs> and they walked with him no longer. How many Catholics walk with Jesus no longer? Or maybe never did, right? There, again, is that this great poverty. And Eucharistic adoration is, it is making a comeback in the church. And one of the things, even in, I would say to Catholic moms and everybody who's watching, it occurred to me that, you know, our parish has a holy hour every Friday morning. Uh, and even though we, we are still live streaming the holy hour, it's live. And so when you look at the host, you can't say, well, oh, that's just kind of like a, a static picture or something. You know, it's, uh, it's an image of, you can see the candles flickering and everything on either side. But that is live. That is Jesus. Just as everyone who is tuned in today, we would say, oh no, this is live. This isn't a video. This isn't pre-recorded. It's live. So even to take advantage of the many places that are offering, and our parish is one of them, uh, the ability to look at Jesus as Jesus looks at you. A beautiful thing, today is the anniversary of my mother's funeral uh, one year ago. She died at the age of 88. Uh, she, had had, she had dementia for 22 years. Um, my last name is Forge, but it's, in English, it's Forget. So I think I'm doomed for sure. Um, But it occurred to me one day during the holy hour, I was looking at the blessed sacrament. I was thinking about my mother and my father who had died when suddenly I realized, what do I pray for? When I pray for my mother and my father, that they would see Jesus. And then it occurred to me as I see Jesus now, I'm looking at Jesus I pray that they're looking at Jesus and that was a beautiful connection that the same Christ i'm looking at now in time as I live on the earth. I pray that they're looking at Jesus isn't divided up there isn't a Jesus of heaven and a Jesus of earth and a Jesus of the tabernacle at St Leo the great and a Jesus of uh, the Vatican tabernacle in Rome there's only one Jesus. And it's the same Jesus. So in that intimacy of the Eucharist, um, I've never considered myself to be a great man of books. (laughs) That's a green screen behind me, actually. No, that is my my (laughs) And these are all my Fulton Sheen books. Uh, Both rows are Fulton Sheen. I I just have a great admiration for Fulton Sheen but um, I have no idea what I was just talking about. I shouldn't have changed the subject, but- Can I ask you- I know what? what it was. One time I was celebrating mass, I think it was weekday mass, when suddenly I realized, I recognized something that I didn't read in a book or someone else didn't say, or a great saint of the church even, God bless them. But as I was saying the words of institution, the words of the Jesus said at the last supper, which, makes the bread by the power of the holy spirit become the body of christ the wine in the chalice become the blood of christ i recognized a little secret it was like god winked at me in that moment that the last words we say over consecration is when the priest says it when jesus said take this all of you and eat for this is my body which will be given up for you um Or is that, no, did I say that right? Uh, You, okay, do you remember in the 17th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is not with uh, Peter, the apostle, but he is approached, Peter is approached by one of the tax collectors from the temple. And he asks Peter, does your master not pay the temple tax? So Peter said, yes, he does. You know, he gave that as an answer, but then he goes and he sees Jesus and Jesus already knows what has just taken place with Peter. And he says to to Peter, um, you know, something about to the effect that uh, go and, and pu- put your line in the water, pull out a fish and the fish that you pull out will have a gold coin in it that will pay the temple tax for you and for me. Take this, all of you, and eat, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. And then the words of consecration over the chalice. Take this, all of you, and drink, for this is the chalice of my blood that will be offered up for you and for many, so that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me, you and me, In the consecration, this is an intimacy between you and me. And that consecrated host is placed before us to just adore for one hour of adoration. And and anyone who has kind of fallen in love with Jesus in the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in a holy hour has come to realize that this doesn't replace our need to receive Jesus, That's the apex, of course. But this is a beautiful intimacy where we can sit and look at Jesus and he looks at us. I remember a woman in my last parish. She used to come to the holy hour. And I remember at first I judged her because she would kind of come just when we were about to begin or after the Blessed Sacrament was exposed. Of course, she would go all the way to the front of the church and genuflect devoutly. And she would sit in her pew, look at the host for a little while, and the next thing she would open up her Catholic register and read it with the paper just like this. And at first I thought, I don't think she understands adoration or anything like that. And then I changed my thought, thinking, what a beautiful intimacy she has. It's like her a husband and wife, and they're one somebody's reading the paper and they're sitting together or whatever. So you know, you never know how people are going to spend a holy hour. You know, we know how Peter, James, and John spent the first holy hour. They slept while Jesus went off and prayed and asked them to, re- to can you not stay awake one hour with me?
0: Now, now um, Father, we, we've got a couple of questions here from the moms, and it's, and it's five to three. So I'm kind of like wanting to make sure that maybe we get a couple of the uh, questions answered here. Um, Anna Cabrell asks a very good question. Father, I was wondering, what do you remember of how your mom or parents introduced you to the real presence as a child? How do you remember seeing the Eucharist as a child? So do you have any memories of how your kind of mom communicated that truth to you and what she did? Or... Uh,
1: I think it was probably in telling me to sit up straight in church or something like that. Um, okay. You know what's funny? I don't remember Eucharistic adoration as a child. Um, I don't know if the parish had it. And again, in the in the early 60s, a lot of those things were disappearing from the Catholic landscape, right? So I'm pretty sure there wasn't a holy hour when I was a child, um, but... I think, you know, we went to church faithfully. Uh, Those are the days before even seatbelts in cars. So we'd all pile into the car and we went to mass. But I remember my mom always talking to us about spiritual things, you know, and would say, that's Jesus, just as your mother did, kind of whispering to you to be quiet and to pay attention. And that's Jesus. And Jesus is, you know when you couldn't even receive Jesus as a child before you made your first communion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Things like that. But you had this, I had this sense that Jesus was truly there. It wasn't kind of like I, I didn't understand it or whatever. So I understood it. I understood the Eucharist in a lived way and not so much a theological way when I was a child, but I think that even the framework that if you show up, in church if parents show up in church faithfully every sunday children learn so much by what they see what they, is pointed out to them what uh you know that we i knew that the tabernacle was front and center in our home parish in whitby uh when i was a child uh all those things and so you know i think children learn from what so much from what they see and then they ask questions uh, but I think I, I clearly had a sense that my sister, uh, my sister Marianne, and I, we were really close and everything. She used to put a nylon, one of my mother's nylons on her head, and she would be a nun. And I, would, I would celebrate mass on a cedar chest of my mother's in my mother's bedroom. And, and we would play mass. I would be the priest. And we would cut, we would take white bread, and we would make nice round hosts. When I think about it now, it grosses me out. Vacuum cleaner hose. And that made perfect. uh, (laughs) And then we would celebrate mass. But I was so serious as was she when we were playing church. Uh What would make a child want to play mass and, and be a nun and a priest and everything? What we saw, what we experienced, what was passed on to us as being clearly important for my mother and father and became important for us as children as well
0: yeah and there's a beautiful comment here from colette on um, as a catechist the question i ask children who come for holy communion is this have you seen jesus before flesh and blood many answers uh, that are no but a few of them get it and their profound answer is yes in the eucharist Um, Many adults, too, say no because they don't understand the real presence. That's a a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, Do you, Father, like, is there a particular, should we be taking children to Eucharistic Adoration? That's kind of the question I wanted to pose to you is, should we take kids to Eucharistic Adoration?
1: I think yes. I mean, again, I would only add the proviso that, you know, if children... Don't even know kind of how to be a little quiet in church, or at least, you know, I think people will understand if children move around and everything. But if it's really distracting, then those children aren't going to get anything out of it, the parents aren't going to get anything out of it, and the other people in the church will probably be distracted and maybe. So I think people, uh, most Catholics would, who regularly go, would love to see children there. Or even know the children are there, even if, and you know, I I heard of some parishes in the United States where what they did is they introduced it for 20 minutes for children. So if parents even came and said, I'm going to do this a little and then talk to the kids about it after, and maybe even if the children were kind of acting up, they could say, you know, we're going to do this again, but you know, you, you need to really be quiet just for the other people who are there because they're there. To see jesus and then you know and sometimes it's with quiet uh we also introduced in our parish in the last uh few years with we have a, a net team in our parish and even with the pandemic they're still doing uh youth ministry online uh four of them are from british columbia and three of them are from ontario and they introduced when the church was open adoration uh, and in the evening and the church was dark and they had candles kind of in the center, but it was beautifully uh, put together and they would have worship music as well for adoration. But one of the one of the powerful things was that that would also be introducing young people into this beautiful sense of Jesus is really here yeah. this and not only here. We could say Jesus is in the world. Jesus is here with us now as we're having this uh, conversation. But Jesus is also there, right there, as your mother whispered to you, as parents should point to their children, that's Jesus. You, know, you see children come up when they can't receive communion and they want what their parents are receiving, right? And they'll say, I want one. And how many priests have seen children leave crying, screaming because they didn't receive the host but all that child knows but is also getting an experience of is something incredible was just received by my mother and my father and why can't i receive this you know mm-hmm. or yet and that's that's uh that's a learning experience part of the learning curve
0: yeah and uh i just i wanted to comment here uh, amy quinless she says that our atrium program pre-covid took uh, kids to adoration for 10 minutes each week. And, um, you know, I guess we were very blessed. We lived pretty close to St. Clement's Parish. And there's an Adoration Chapel there, and Maximilian Kolba, there's an Adoration Chapel, and St. Patrick, so it's a little bit like Christmas. I'm, I'm not too far from a number of chapels. And, and so it was very natural uh, when my kids were little that, okay, we're on the way to Cloverdale Mall, let's just pop in for 10 minutes and say hi to Jesus right? So I really encourage, you know, moms to take in like that, you know, just a quick 10-minute visit. And, you know, um, I used to always take my kids too to keep them happy as I took them to the mass at the airport. And I said, if you behave at church, I'll take you on the elevator for a ride in that walkway that, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, there's actually a train between the two uh, terminals. And so I said, if you act perfectly, we're going to do the train ride after, right? (laughs) And uh, I'm I'm a strong believer too, to visit, you know, when the children are little to visit different parishes, because of course, you know, our Lady of Sorrows is so different than, you know, St. Patrick's, right? And, and so then the children begin to appreciate, um, you know, just the, the, the beauty in it. Um, Father, do you have any recommendations for books or for resources that, because uh, like some, <laughs> no, but for Eucharistic adoration, I know that sometimes, you know, people go to adoration, like I, I love, going to adoration i go you know i'm very very blessed maximilian colbert adoration chapel is open i i I did an hour of adoration praying for everybody here today before um, midday mom started and you know, some people are like really restless, you know, like, I guess I've been given some kind of grace that I could, I just feel like a sponge. I could stay there for five hours, but then I'd be neglecting my duties as a wife. But, you know, for those that struggle with it, what could you kind of do well, I, in adoration? Well,
1: I think I would give practical uh, advice rather than uh, recommend a book or anything. One of the things okay. is just be with Jesus. And, and I say that because, While people may be restless, it's easy in adoration to fill that space up. But what we might be really saying within ourselves, this is boring. And therefore, I'm going to do the rosary because that'll take about 15 and 20 minutes. Then I might do uh, this. or And I've got this great book, so I'll read that as well. But at the same time, I think if we can actually just center ourselves and be with Jesus. The other thing is... One of the things I kind of notice is a lot of times people will come to church, but they say far, far back, uh, you know, and maybe that's because they want to have a sense of nobody. I don't want anybody looking at me as I look at Jesus. On the other hand, if you knew that was Jesus right there, you'd you'd want to be clamoring (laughs) to get a spot close to him. Right. I don't. Well, I'll just watch him at the back. You know, (laughs) further back. Well, then why don't you just sit in your car? You know, you could be, how far back do you want to get? But I think, you know, to you can your comfort zone absolutely should be most essential for you. But also, don't try and fill up that space. I remember when I went on a retreat one time, and it was the uh, retreat that really I made the decision that uh, at St. Augustine Seminary that I'm going to, this is for me, I'm going to be a priest, I'm going to go for this, um, was it during the holy hour, and that holy hour was like a holy five minutes. It just passed so quickly, and yet I wasn't reading something and doing the rosary and everything. I just looked at Jesus, and he looked at me, and because I was bringing my need for God there, then the hunger and thirst was being filled in that moment by looking at Jesus, because it's really Jesus. And you look beyond, in one sense, the the bread that you see and you can receive in the Eucharist, and you see Jesus. You know that's Jesus. It's not kind of some symbol. Because if it's like, you know, as Flannery O'Connor said, if it's just a symbol, well, then to hell with it. It's not a symbol. It is Jesus, really and truly Jesus. So I wouldn't, like, Try not to fill the, the space with time, because then we're really. So thinking, I'm doing it all wrong, Father. I'm doing it right. Well, <laughs> yes, I'm, I I came on today to say Dorothy's been doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun with you, Father. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm cool with that. But but I but I would just invite you to kind of even if it's baby steps, right? If you're kind of like I'm not sure what I should be doing, don't do anything, because I think that's. You know, you try to, don't try to fill the hour up, but try, you know, if you want to pray the rosary, I know for myself, when we have the holy hour in the church, I will do the divine office at that time, but it doesn't fill the whole hour, but what if I'm praying with the church and for the church as a priest, then what better place to do it and way to do it than with Jesus, looking at Jesus and praying that which is familiar to me and that I know.
0: Yeah, and I, I, one thing I wanted to sort of share with the, the moms that are here, like a, a mom gave me this idea, so now I wanna give my fellow moms here this idea. And I, I, I had never thought of doing such a thing and my mother had never done such a thing, but a dear friend of mine, Mary, She said that before her children received um, Holy Communion or before they received their confirmation, that she actually went on a self directed retreat with her daughter for three days, you know, with a a priest was overseeing the two of them but you know that this was a special time and you know Mary and her daughter are going to go on this retreat and father so-and-so is going to ask all these questions and I thought gosh I would have never thought of that and and I wasn't as kind of holy as Mary but I thought to myself okay I can do something a little bit similar and so what we did do, we, we said to our kids that, okay, your confirmation, um, your first Holy Communion is extremely important. And we're gonna do a novena of nine really short visits to Eucharistic adoration as a family, the four of us for nine days before the sacrament. And they're not gonna be long visits, right? So it was like the discipline of going every day for nine days, you know, teaching them the novena and then entering into the sacrament or, you know, in a way that we as a family, you know, we're preparing. And I know my my son was sort of saying, why don't we do this more often? And now I'm thinking, oh, gosh, he's 20. He's 20. So I should have, you know, like to not
1: lose some of those things.
0: But, yeah.
1: but, but, you, parents, but you know, here, I, would, I would just like to uh, kind of close with this story. Um, we're in shutdown right? People can't go to mass and everything. There's a man I've seen pull up in front of our church. And one day I was leaving the church uh, after the morning mass, the Sunday morning mass, and or anyway, and he was sitting in his vehicle. And I thought, I wonder who that is and everything. And then he put his window down. And he said, Hi, Father, how are you? And he was asking me how I was doing, like, as if, you know, he was worried about me, but he told me, uh that well my father's really sick and he's dying and he's in the states and everything and so i'm just here praying and i thought here's a man who is coming to the church he can't go in through the doors and how much jesus must must just love his faith that says this is one way for me to be near to you lord and to bring my father uh before you and i thought if that is not eucharistic adoration (laughs) when he can't see jesus and through the doors but he does see Jesus. That's the faith that Jesus rewarded. We heard in the gospel today of the Syrophoenician woman who, who just came and asked for Jesus to touch her daughter who was possessed, right? And Jesus said, go home, your daughter is well. Why? Because the woman had faith. He drew her faith out of her and he rewarded her faith. And I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is looking for. And, and we see beautiful examples, even in the midst of pandemic, in the church of that kind of faith faith yeah. in the eucharist yeah.
0: and, and, and father i you know there's so many questions here i can't answer because i guess everyone's just so excited you know to have you here and you'll people are saying thank you for such a beautiful reflection for your words of wisdom um one question that comes up often and i i, I hate to ask you one more question but like how about the you know the the mom or the dad you know you've done everything that you can to pass down the faith. And you've tried to teach them the love of the Eucharist. You've tried to, but they're just, they've rejected it, right? And um, it's like a lot of moms are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain because their children have rejected what they've been taught. And so do you have any words of consolation or practical advice, anything for those?
1: Two words, be faithful. Because if you're faithful, uh, so many people are afraid of nagging other people and but if you bring them before the lord in prayer yourself that's everything you're bringing them before jesus as that woman that syrophoenician woman brought her daughter her daughter wasn't there her daughter was at home and jesus saw her faith and the the daughter was and the woman gets home and discovers this just as jesus said her daughter's laying on the bed now, hopefully, your husband or your wife isn't laying on the bed on Sunday and not coming to Mass, but even if that's all they're doing, bring them as that woman did in faith to Jesus. I, I've heard other priests say this, but when you're at Mass, when the priest takes the paten with the host and he takes the chalice with the wine, and in the consecration, they're changed into the body and blood of Christ, place your loved ones place your needs your interest your whatever it is place them on say my husband never goes to church lord i place them on the pat with you and okay. as bread is changed into the body of christ and wine is changed into the blood of christ so too can their life be changed by you simply bringing them before the lord in that spiritual way that you can
0: that's a that's a beautiful beautiful um beautiful, practical suggestion. Thank you.
1: That's Uh, why I'm a priest. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's
1: my job. job. (laughs) Um,
0: Anyway, I wanted to take this uh, just opportunity from the the bottom of my heart and the hearts of all of these moms to uh, thank you. Thank you for a a beautiful, beautiful reflection. Thank you for your time. Um, Please know that you know, we're praying for you. I prayed for you today, for sure this morning, uh, before, uh, and I'll continue to, to pray for you. And, uh, I ask you to pray for our mother's ministry because, you know, a lot of, a lot of mother's group leaders get discouraged at this time. And so just like you need prayers, they need prayers. So we all, uh, we all ask to, and, and I want to, everyone that came today, um, thank you for joining us. Um, And please know that the ministry is here to serve you. If there's a particular topic that you're interested in, we're always open to ideas. Um, If you have any additional questions, if you forward them to me, I can forward them to Father Charles if I can't answer them. Um, But, um, you know, Father Charles is the priest at St. Leo's in Brooklyn. So you can go go knocking on his door there or uh, sending emails or whatever. Um, And please join him for the, uh, when is the Eucharistic Adoration online there?
1: So we have ours on Friday mornings, we were doing it every day, but uh, with the church closer. So we do it at 730 in the morning live stream, and then uh, to 830. And then we have the 830 morning mass. mass, fantastic, every Friday. Yep.
0: Okay, so so um, I am praying that there is a, a, a mom here who feels her heart is just surging and she really wants to start a mother's group. So if you wanna start a mother's group, uh, let me know, because we do have a workshop on how to start a mother's group workshop. Um, I would also I'm going to make one last pitch for the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. We're we're having a really hard time getting the word out because usually we print thousands of brochures and mail them to all the parishes, but of course there's no point in doing that right now because if we mail them to the parishes, there'd be no one there. To be. So we need your help in getting the word out about the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. Uh, it's going to be an amazing, amazing day, but. We we really are at the mercy of of, uh, our blessed mother, and I keep on saying, you know, our blessed mother knows, you know. So if we have, you know, last year we almost had almost 500, but it looks like this year there might be, (laughs) dare I say, 55, you know, (laughs) because it's just hard to reach all of the, the, the moms. So please, if there's any way you can help us in getting the word out, either about Midday Moms about the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. Follow us on Instagram. We're really easy to find. Three words, Catholic Moms Grip. Um, So thank you, Father Charles. Um, I'm hoping you'll come back on another time. I would love to. Yeah, it, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Thank you for just your patience with me because I know I talk too much. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but uh, thank you for, for everything and thank you oh, for the. Somebody's goodness.
1: asking for us to say that parish name again. It's St. Leo the Great in Brooklyn, Ontario. St. Leo the Great. Someone was just asking.
0: Yeah, so St. Leo the Great in Brooklyn, because there's a St. Leo in Etobicoke. It's not that St. Leo. It's St. Leo in Brooklyn. And it's Brooklyn with an I. I learned. It is, it is. I, I often make a mistake, and it's are, Dorothy, Dorothy. Anyway, so uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, I always like to say, I'm so glad we had this time together. Aaron have a laugh and pray a prayer. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. So goodbye, everybody. Um, thank you goodbye. for joining us. God in. bless you all. God bless you. Thank you, Father Charles. Thank
1: you. I know.
0: Okay. Bye Bye-bye.